You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Monday, so it's time for Shapiro World with David Shapiro from SASFIN Securities. Now, David, we've spoken about this before, but this is a very strange recession if there is indeed a recession mm-hmm. because the jobs number was a blockbuster on Friday from the United yeah. States of America. US non-farm payrolls increased in one month, yeah. 517,000. Yeah. That was a yeah. eye-watering number. Lindsay, nobody came close to forecasting that number, but not even close. I think most of the forecasts were around the 150 to 200, maybe slightly more in some cases. I don't know all of it, but everybody got it wrong. And the question is, how could they get it so wrong? You know, we, there are so many well-paid, um, what, what's the word, uh, highly skilled economists, strategists, whatever you want to call them, commentators, and everybody gets it wrong. And, and this is not the first time. And what concerns me is that I don't know whether anybody really knows what's going on. How come Powell, when he gave his talk on Wednesday evening, had no inkling that, um, there was, that these kind of jobs were being created? You know, do, do you know what I'm saying? Nothing. It was, it was nowhere in his, in his talk. And not a Look, to be fair as well, I think the one important point was despite the fact that so many jobs were being created, there wasn't any major upward pressure on wages. In other words, the amount that was being uh, paid to these workers, it's a tight market. But it keeps, it just, it worries me that, that we're bumbling along, pulling on levers without anybody having a firm grip of what lies ahead. And, and I always quote old Nick Kunzer, uh, you know, when, when, when I look at the market and I just say, listen, just, just, Play what's in front of you. Yeah, you know, exactly. Trade what's on your screen. Don't yes. don't try and get uh, try try and understand it. Look at where the market is, uh, how they're reacting, and 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 trade accordingly. Because um, to try and fathom it out is, is going to get you nowhere. So, I I I listen to reports. I think a lot of people are squirming because they got it wrong. Um, you know, no one's got the market right. No one believed that the market would have run like it did in January. So I, th- I think uh, it does beg the question, you know, how, 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 how much we can rely on forecasts. I know everybody's got to make them, Lindsay, but they're worthless as, you know, it's worth like a chocolate teapot. Just, you just got to, you've got to make up your own mind and play your own game. But I, I, I'm very nervous of, of, of getting too involved or, or listening to strategists and economists and uh, where they think the world's going. I just, bubble along day by day. Do you know what, David, the explanation for the fact that wage pressure isn't as high as one would have expected it to be with such low unemployment Mm. is that people are coming back into the worst workforce. In other words, the participation rate. I've never really understood it, but I'm sort of getting a a group of uh, people are coming back into the workforce. So there's more workers. And so the job market may be booming, but it's not as tight as it might have been. Is that an explanation? That's, that's a good point. That's a, that's a good point. In other words, more workers, so you don't have to pay for them. But they are being employed. And uh, if they are getting employed, it means they're getting wages, which they're going to spend. Yeah. Um, it's, it doesn't look like a recession. I mean, no. if anything, 500,000 jobs created is, that doesn't look like you're heading into a recession. You know, I don't know what a recession means now. You know, 
what what does this all mean? How do you how do you interpret all these uh, statistics, these these uh, these numbers? Um, there was a huge amount of employment in January. People going into uh, manufacturing, retail, hospitality, you name it. You know, all kinds of professions. So people are getting jobs. But where's this, this recession that everybody's been talking about for six months? And, and it doesn't make any importance. And we are getting, we are getting uh, inflation starting to fall or certainly move in the right direction. So I don't know whether Powell or anyone you know, that, that we listen to has got a keen grip on what's happening. There are no, there are no voices you know, who can actually give you an explanation. So you know, it, it makes it very difficult to um, – it makes it very difficult to understand and position yourself. But that's what I'm saying. If the market's going up and people are buying, I'm very happy with it. You know, I'm happy to, to go along with how companies are. Lindsay, the other big point is that you don't get any hint of this when you when you go through the results. You know, the results have been okay. Yes, they've been missing. But, I mean, there's no sense of doom and, you know, major gloom uh, in, in the kind of numbers that we've, that we've been, uh, you know, seeing. So I just, just I'm not, I'm not uh, getting ultra bullish. I'm not ultra bearish. But I just say just be careful, you know, play it. Play it day by day. Yeah, indeed. Talking about inflation, which you did mention in your little chat just now, when's the next CPI number? It must be due quite soon. Soon. Mm-hmm. If not this yeah. week, then next week. Because uh, I also read something that said, don't get too complacent about inflation falling because yeah. he or she, I can't remember which, did mention that there could be a little bit of an upside surprise at the next figure. And uh, also you can see from the capital markets, I mean, they're not running away in terms of yields mm-hmm. going up, but they have firmed. I mean, the US 10-year was in the 330s yeah. last week. Mm-hmm. It's now mm-hmm. in the 350s again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite a big move. So with <laughs> suddenly recession fears uh, receding, um, it doesn't mean that rates are, are going to go on hold or even be cut in a year's time or something. I don't know. It's no. month to month, isn't it? You it, just, it is. You just have I, to yeah, trade the data. Take, yeah. hmm. that's, I, don't try to look too far ahead and don't try to be clever because I don't think, I, you know, it's just I think everybody's taking a, a wild guess at uh, at where we are. And you just have to l- literally play the data month by month. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, even if you look at those bonds, um, I think the ten-year bond in the U.S. when we started at the beginning of the year was was around about um, what was it over four? I think it's you know it's come back to three fifty or so on, and the trend is is certainly looking easier. But just just be careful, you know. I, I that's why I say I'm always in a position. I'm vigilant, and if one needs to jump, well then jump. You know, don't don't wait for the ship to sink, <laughs> just jump. But um, I'm, I'm saying that after after Friday's numbers, I sit there and shrug my shoulders and say, you know, does anybody really know what's happening? And and the last thing they're going to do is is admit, listen, we're perplexed, we don't know. So yeah, anyway, mm. it makes makes life interesting. I I haven't gone. I must, I must be honest for for well over a year now. I haven't gone into the market. You know, I haven't gone out in any way, put fresh money in. I've just been kind of riding out positions, okay. retaining what cash we have, waiting. Um, there might have been one or two switches we've done, but nothing of a of of you know of major importance. Um, it might have you know involved China, 
But uh, apart from that, have done very little, you know, have, have committed very little new money to the market simply because of uh, the confusion. You know, I like the way it's pointing at the moment, and I'm I'm pleased that it's been up in in, in January. But uh, that hasn't inspired me to go and say, okay, you know, now's the time. Let's go and you know, let's let's go out and buy. Yeah, have you sold any? No, not really. No, no. You know, even even. Lindsay, I always look for – in fact, I wrote an article on Friday, and I've just been quoting it. Um, I saw that. You know, we're, always, you know, we're always on the lookout for, okay, um, Amazon and Apple and all those companies came under a bit of pressure. And we're always challenging and saying, listen, is it the end of the road for those companies? Should we be looking at someone so, somewhere else? What other companies are going to replace those Apples and Amazons and Alphabets, et cetera, at the top end of the market in the same way as Exxon was replaced by tech, you know, and all those JP Morgan. And, you know, if you go and look at the top 10, uh, 10, 15 years ago, you know, it's completely, the complexity has changed completely. Whole lot of new companies up there, which are mainly tech. And I'm always saying, what's going to be the next run? You know, what's going to be up there? Um, that, that we should start looking at. Um, is the dominance of these big companies going to be, uh, challenged? And as far, at this stage, no. You know, there's nothing there that can measure up to them, even though they've gone through a lot of problems. And, and a lot of problems are self-inflicted by arrogance and overspending and vanity projects, et cetera. But they've learned to quick listen. Yes. And, uh, they're into, so I'm saying that's always, what we're trying to do. So I'm constantly looking and saying, should I buy this? Should I buy that? You know, uh, should we sell off some apples and should we sell off this? And at the end of the day, I say, well, what am I going to put it into? And so far, nothing has really emerged, uh, you know, that can replace them. And, I, 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 you know, I'm not a value player. I mean, a value, I'm not going to go find some utility somewhere, you know, that's playing a 3% dividend yield or it's just, just uh, I find that a bit boring or go find some, uh, operator you know, in some weird country that's making decent profits. You know, I like growth. I like companies at the forefront of um, of where the world's going. And and I must I must alert you. Like I, I was yes. reading this week's Economist. Okay. Um, I, I, I must say that uh, that um, which which highlights where Biden wants America in 2030. And I think these articles are being written ahead of the State of the Nation. Uh, speech and 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 you know embrace this um, his his uh, investment policies of making America self-sufficient in in well they are self-sufficient but converting to clean uh, energy um, producing their own chips and uh, uh, own security and so on you know electric vehicles and etc and it's. I read the leader. Once I got to the main article, I started to get bored after an old page or so. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's nothing worse than three pages of small writing in the Economist to get through. But but the gist was there, you know. And 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 by the gist, I mean it highlights where I think industrial policy is going globally, you know, and where America will be. And there's quite a bit of excitement around it. Yes, the issues, and they highlight the issues. But it's it's you know it's worth grasping and it's worth reading, okay. and um, and and that's what I'm saying. So I'm looking for the businesses. Okay, who who the winner is going to be? You know who's going to win? What companies are likely to emerge? 
um, out of this. And uh, for me, that's the challenge of, of where to go and where to buy. But at the moment, I haven't seen anything re- that replaces at this stage, you know, the dominant businesses that we already have. David, just before we leave um, recession, there was an article in the um, business section of the Guardian newspaper this morning, and um, it was quite a quirky article. But on the other hand, I've heard these things before, and it was indicators that show that we are already or about to go into recession. Now, the first one was lipstick, you know, the lipstick theory. Uh, You can't buy a dress, so you buy an expensive lipstick. And uh, Estee Lauder has said that uh, lipstick sales are significantly higher in 2022-2023 than they were. So they said that's one indicator. But the most interesting one was this highly intelligent stripper in the United States of America, (laughs) a college graduate, but she just decided that she could make more money um, and and stripping. And um, so so she has. And she said, unfortunately, the stripping business is a lead indicator to a recession. And she said, we are leading into a recession. December is normally a big month for, you know, businessmen with a bit of um, uh, cash to splash. Uh, they go in there. She says it's worst December ever. And the people that go there don't tip her as much as they used to. So she said, unfortunately, everybody, we are going into uh, recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Greenspan's mm-hmm. underpant theory as well. Men's underpants sales have fallen because men, unlike women, will wear their underpants until there's only a couple of (laughs) strands left and that sort of thing. But there's a a few little things, and obviously you mustn't mustn't take them very seriously. But maybe maybe it can be a recession with jobs. Who knows? You know, that's quite interesting there, uh, what you're saying. And you might appreciate this. there's a chap, Rob Katzen, yes. I hope I got his name right, who's just published a book which has been sold out here about um, the, the dogs of Fox Street, which is about his anecdotes around um, his working at Standard Merchant Bank during the 90s. Uh, unfortunately, I downloaded it on, um, on, on my Kindle, but it just didn't come out properly. I don't know. It's the first time that that's ever happened. But the point is why it's a big seller is that I think people kind of almost yearn for that era. But we don't, we're not in that era anymore, Lindsay. Yes. You know what I mean? For the stripper. I, I know the stripper. There was, there was that famous book during the 70s, Xavier Hollander. Yeah. You know, who made a comment about, uh, you know, when the markets are up, uh, so are other things. And um, it's, it's, it highlighted that when you know you've got booming markets, people come to strip club. But I think I think that era is gone. Hey? I think that era of Mad Men, you know, the the the, the male shore, the what, what do you call it, the, the the Wolf of Wall Street. I think I think that's gone. So um, yeah, you know, the trading room, the excitement of the trading room, and I think if you read Goldman Sachs as well, you can see it in their numbers as well. It's come down quite a lot. I think things have changed quite dramatically in that in that respect. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's shifted a lot more towards technology. You know, people wanting to be in techno companies and that. And I don't know whether we've got the power that we used to have. Um, in the past, oh, no, uh, the, the, yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm. The, the days of the long mm. boozy lunches mm. and, then, and mm. calling back to the office just to mm. collect your briefcase and then mm. go home. 
in mm. a taxi, hopefully. They're all gone. But I don't know about the stripping. Yeah. I, I do think there's still youngsters out there and maybe the odd married man who just stops off um, for a drink and just um, enjoys the view. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, these, these, these are silly I things. I working from home. It's not that easy anymore. No, it's not. <laughs> David, does this mean anything to you? Norge Bank Investment Management, does that mean anything to you? Norge Bank Investment Management. Uh, is this is the Norwegian, is it? Yes, the Norwegian uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund. Um, mm-hmm. Just reading about that, they came out with an ESG thing. You know, they're cutting all their mm-hmm. fossil mm-hmm. fuel uh, yeah. holdings and doing it slowly. I think they've reduced their coal exposure by 30%, yeah. and it, it'll keep on going. It'll definitely yes. keep on going. They've got $1.4 yes. trillion dollars under management. Yes, I know. And do you know how much that is? That's $244,000 yeah. yeah. for every man, yeah. woman, and child in Norway. So if they decided, no, we're going to disband this fund now and hand yes. it to the people, what an extraordinary thing that would be. Yeah. Yeah. But I think more important is their, uh, is their approach. Yes. And you can't ignore that. You know, you, you cannot ignore... Uh, their policies, their ESG policies, and, uh, you know, ignore it at your peril. And why I say that is that there's still a lot of cynics out there, and they're entitled to be. Um, I'm not distressing, you know, I'm not criticizing them who, who say this is a lot of rubbish. Um, you know, we still need fossil fuel. We still need coal. Yes, because I, I, I was going to alert you to Tongela, you know, one of the company that was one of the that, that outperformed anything by a long mile uh, last year on the JSC, has bought a company in uh, Australia, you know, bought uh, four, million, 4 billion rand or whatever it was, bought a operation in, in, in uh, Australia. And I always want to know, well, who sold it and why? Probably some investment bankers saying, listen, we better get out of it. It's, it's, it's too hot for us to handle. Uh, we don't want to be seen as holding uh, coal assets. But, Lindsay, there's, the importance is that, that you know, the, the money is going to be spent on clean air, whether you like it or not. It's going to be harder and harder for you to justify any holdings. And they set, they're setting the tone. You know, they're setting a very, very high bar. In terms of that, in the, terms of... Uh, mm. They've released their ESG, first of all, their ESG credentials with mm. the companies that they already own, but also their targets. And they are saying yeah. now, okay, if the board doesn't act quick enough, we're getting out of your company. I mean, yeah. they own, they own 7,000 yes. companies, not just fossil fuel yeah. companies, but any company yeah. that isn't yeah. acting within their requirements, they're just going to say, I'm sorry, in no. that case, we will let our holding go, responsibly, of course. Yeah. But they're really yeah. taking it very, very seriously. Yeah. But it's take it seriously. What I'm saying, they're not the only ones. People will follow, and the difficulty is going to be that if you, you know, if you if you're a pension fund or a, even an asset manager, you know, even even an asset manager, you've got to be in a situation where you can defend yourself against anybody who questions us. I, I I'll give you a small point. I raised the question of the spa. You know, we've had a few issues with spa. Uh, it's public knowledge, you know, management has been replaced and so on. And, and I've said to our own chaps, you know, when you own SPA, make sure that you can. If anybody asks you about their corporate governance, SPA is doing something to their credit. You know, they are looking into it and they're, they're making sure that they address all these issues and go through it with a fine tooth comb. Uh, some of the mis, you know, the mishaps that happened there. But what the point I'm, I'm using, and this is not a go it against SPA, I'm not going against SPA. What I'm saying is 
you as an asset management, even small asset managers like ourselves, or even me as an individual asset manager, I've got to be able, if anybody asks me that question, why are you holding SPA against this or why are you holding other companies? You've got to be able to justify it and say, listen, you know, this is my answer. This is why. But it com- becomes very uncomfortable. So don't go, at, you know, don't, don't try to be clever. So it's, it's uh, and, and that's where I think the point comes for particularly fossil fuel companies. It's going to be, going to be a rough time ahead. All these companies are making super-duper profits because of what happened, the Exxons and the Chevrons, and they're all trying to reposition their businesses, but um, it's very difficult to to, you know, to justify some holdings in certain of these operations. It's a big, big Big, big subject. It really is. Yeah, it can't happen overnight. Otherwise, you know, there'd be chaos in the markets. But yeah, it will continue. Yeah. Anyway, David, we've covered several topics. But one thing we haven't covered is football. Well done on Arsenal. Because if they win their game in hand, there'll be eight points clear. And I think this time, <laughs> even though there's a few games left, I do think that there's a very good chance that yesterday was the final nail in Manchester City's coffin. And they've got things going on behind the scenes. I mean, they've suddenly announced, the Premier League has suddenly announced that they're investigating financial dealings from as far back as 2009 when Roberto Mancini was the manager. So they've got that hanging over them. And it will affect Pep. I mean, Pep's got nothing to do with it. He's the football side. But certainly the Qatari owners must have done um, something uh, dodgy. I'm yeah. not saying that was that, that was just an inevitability, creative accounting, but you know what I mean. So that's hanging mm. over the club, the Haaland story. If people say he's angry. My opinion is, yes, he's angry with himself. It's as simple as that. Because he's, yeah, yeah. he's not scoring at quite the rate he was. Nah. But he'll bounce back, I know he will. I've seen a documentary on him. He's, a very he's such good... a good player. Yeah, I mean, and he's such a powerful player. The point is that I, I, I don't know whether the team is doing it purposefully. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, you know, people are people, whether they're specifically ignoring him. No. But, uh, hey, but he, no. he was nowhere. He was nowhere. You know, when you've got a player of that magnitude of that, I mean, look at Harry Kane. Boom, boom, goal. You know what I mean? He's there. And they feed him and they know that he can score. With Haaland, he just, he just he was given no opportunity. He, was he wasn't he wasn't serviced properly, and also he that's, wasn't moving as much as he was. You know, he normally has this sort of it was almost a telepathic reading of the game he had, where he would go to the near post, the cross would come into the near post, or vice versa, the far post. Yesterday, he, he didn't know where to go. He was awful. No, no I know. I, I say I and he's. I mean, he's he's got such a deep uh, fan support, you know, and people love him because of. Number one, his attitude and, and also his goal-scoring ability. And he's a pleasure to watch, but he just was nowhere. You know? yeah. And uh, just anyway, I, I, I like Man City. I like Pep. And I just hope these problems are not deep. You know, sure, oh, sure, I want Arsenal to win. They're still an immature side. They're still a very young side. And uh, they've also got to grow up a little bit and, and, and hold on. You know, And the trouble is, you don't want them to believe their own publicity. That always worries me. You know, when people believe, when they read the headlines and think they're great, that's the worst thing on earth. You know, just, yeah. just... I think Mikel Arteta will sort that out if there is any arrogance or complacency creeping yeah. into their game. I think he will iron it out. But um, just imagine if they do win the league, which I think they will now. 
What a platform that is for seasons to come. They'll suddenly be thrust into the spotlight. Uh, You know, they'll be in the Champions League. That sort of glamour attracts players, so people want to be transferred to Arsenal, don't you think? Mm. But you need the the pocket. You need money. Uh, You can see they turned away. I mean, Chelsea's just been buying everything. And look very mediocre, you know. And that's you need, you know. I think I think that's one thing that's been highlighted that Pep does. It's a matter of putting the team together, and and Arteta has done that, where they all feed off each other, they respect each other. You know, you can't just put eleven individuals in and hope that they gel. So I just hope he can keep it up. He's he's got some decent, you know. He's had a few injuries. I think they miss Jesus. Jesus. I think that Gabriel. I think they miss him here. Yeah, he's and uh, I think in games like yesterday, that's when you need that very special touch that he has. You know, he's such a wonderful player, and I'm just sorry that he's, you know, that it might take a little longer for him to come through. The same as Smith Rowe as well is also a wonderful ball player that still hasn't overcome his injuries. You know, as they go into the latter part of the season, they need these chaps. Don't you worry about it. They've got Brentford at home on Saturday. Brentford are no soft touch. They're seventh. No, they're playing well. No. Yeah, Don't write them off. No, they, no. They're a super side, man. Yeah. Hey, and then you've got Man City. Every team. I promise you, Lindsay, you look at every team. Uh, it, it, there's no walkovers here. Absolutely no walkovers. Just to close the Arsenal story, Arsenal will win the league and uh, I shall celebrate with you virtually (laughs) because they deserved it after the football they've played. But back to Chelsea very quickly, Todd Bowley. I've been hearing stories about him. The first story is this, that um, Ziyech wanted Mm. to go to PSG Mm -hmm. and Chelsea agreed. So he flew over to PSG, sitting in the PSG offices on the transfer deadline day and a fax comes through from Chelsea, the forms and everything, in order to seal him as a PSG player because he's had his medical and everything else. And it was the wrong form. And apparently Todd Bowley was orchestrating this. And so they phoned him up and said, you sent the wrong form. They said, oh, sorry, we'll quickly fill in the correct forms. Too late. They sent them but didn't sign the bottom. And by the time that had happened, the deadline passed. And I think that's Bowley Bowley mucking around with them. He looks like a thoroughly unlikable person, I have to say. That's the first story. No. The second story is that, and I didn't realise this, their new chap, uh, Enzo Fernandez, the Argentinian, that they bought bought him for £106.8 million. Now then... Mm. He was at Benfica for six months, David. They bought him for $8 million. And He's now going eight, $8 million six months ago turns into £106.8 million in the last week. And he only played five <laughs> games for Benfica. So the Benfica people must be uh, having a very, very nice party. At Can you believe that? They must say... Hello, senor. Uh, is Chelsea on the line? And he passes it, and the guy's rubbing his hands, and they can just name their price. Deal of the decade. Okay, mm. <laughs> okay David. Thank you, very, right, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll speak again tomorrow on the five o'clock shadow. Yeah. It's David Shapiro from Sassfin Securities, and that was Shapiro World. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.